0: Okay, everybody, uh, welcome to this uh, this week's podcast, and we are going to be doing uh, 1981's Outland, directed by Peter Hyams and starring Sean Connery and Peter Boyle, among others. Welcome, uh, Peter, and again, I'm Doug.
1: Good evening.
0: Uh, Peter, do you want to do our uh terse and sometimes surly uh, overview of the movie before we uh, break it down?
1: Yes, I am extremely surly. (laughs) And I frequently break it down. (laughs) Um, So this movie is, if anybody knows what the Western High Noon is. The Western High Noon was made in 1952 um, and sort of is very well known as a Western. It was sort of a a very modern Western at the time. And it's a sort of a moral tale about a guy who uh, is is trying to rally the locals and then trying to prepare for killers who are coming into town to, for criminals who are coming into town to try to kill him. And he's a marshal in in a Western town. And this movie is, is is very much a take a takeoff on on High Noon uh, in a science fiction setting. So Sean Connery plays a a marshal, federal marshal, who he gets shuffled around to different operations in the in the future uh, in the solar system, you presume. And he's currently on a sending out to sort of a dumpy grungy um, mining outpost on Io, the moon of Jupiter, where they mine titanium. And he goes for a one-year assignment. And basically two weeks after he gets there, his wife and his son abandon him and basically decide they're tired of running around to dumps and they want to go to Earth. And his son's never breathed real air. He's never been to Earth. And they basically split, leaving him there and his son same, who, by
0: the way bears no resemblance to him or his mother but go ahead <laughs> and is also
1: like probably one of the worst child actors i've ever seen <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, we're we're uh, we're getting off <laughs> off track but um, <clears throat> he at the same time right after they leave he he figures out that the place is not only a sort of a dump and a, a hive of uh, debauchery, but um, is also um, there are there are a bunch of miners who have committed suicide, gone psychotic, and done crazy things like kill themselves by walking out into into the no atmosphere on Io and and dying from decompression, and it's happened multiple times. He figured out that. It's, it's sort of happened about a, the last year. They've had a lot more people um, uh, kill themselves and, and sort of go nuts. And he figures out that the station, the, the manager of the place, who's played by Peter Boyle, um, is basically bringing in a, a very high-potency amphetamine.
0: Right, it's basically meth.
1: Basically, it's it's kind of it's kind of like in, injectable uh, meth. Sp- red uh, meth that you <laughs> shoot into your leg with a uh, like a, a pressure gun, like when the military gives you shots. And um, they uh, it, it makes people work a lot, and the, the station productivity goes up, and everybody's bonuses go up, and and everybody's happy. But it, except the
0: dead guys,
1: right? Well, who knows? And Sean Connery. They're briefly unhappy, I guess, but they were happy (laughs) right up to the end, I guess. Um, I get the feeling, by the way, that if they had told these guys, um, yeah, this stuff works great for about 10 or 11 months, and then you're going to walk out of the airlock, they would still do it, about 90% of them.
0: Or if they said, like, most of you won't walk out of the airlock, but one or two of you will.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, So he figures this out, and then he sort of has a a moment of moral clarity and decides that he's tired of being treated like a schlub, and he is a moral guy, and he's going to take a stand and fix it. And in so doing, he turns down the offer for a bribe from the manager of the station, and the manager therefore calls some hitmen, to come in to kill him on the shuttle. And um, it's at a specific time. He has a certain amount of hours left. The way High Noon takes place over one hour before the train's coming in with the, uh, the killer on it. And this movie, he has time till the shuttle comes in, so he has to get ready. Uh, the killers come in. He gets the help of the station doctor, who's a washed-up doctor we'll talk about. The killers come in he basically deals with them by himself because he's clever because no one will help him and everybody is sort of a participant by staying away from the the fracas.
0: Right, Um, and the whole station knows what's going down.
1: Everybody knows and everybody is deliberately sort of avoiding the situation because they figure he's dead and they'd rather just look out for themselves because there's not a ton of morality floating around. Anybody who attempts to help him basically... Um, is ruined. He, he, is ruined, and and uh, some of them get <laughs> killed, and um, so he he fights. He he wins. He fights. Uh, then there's a sort of a twist where one of the cops fights him. He wins that, and in the end, he he kills the. He's wounded, but he makes it through. He kills the assassins, and he walks into the mess and punches the punches out the manager and leaves. Peter and Himes. Goes to uh right. Uh, Peter Boyle. Who's probably Peter Boyle. Shepherd, yes. It'd be right? bad if he punched Peter Hyatt. <laughs> right. Well, maybe he did, but uh, so he he yeah. So and then he he heads for the shuttle where he's going to go back to Earth with his family and basically chucks it out. And it's implied that the uh, manager of the station is is going to be either killed by the crime syndicate that um, was fronting him, or he's going to get arrested. Right and, and be replaced by somebody better, maybe. Right, and he's ruined. So so right. it has a, it has a happy ending.
0: Um, so I think I mean that you have to acknowledge the unbelievable debt that this movie owes to Alien in, in every possible way. Right. I mean, like it. I mean, they work for Conam, which may as well be Wayland yutani I mean, it looks and feels in every possible way like they're in the same universe as Ripley and the Nostromo crew. Um, And and there's a lot of this sort of like blue collar working guys. They shot this. Pissed about their union and, you know, doing basically a sort of manual labor blue collar type job in an outer space setting.
1: They shot this after Alien came out, right? Because Alien came out in 80, I think. Right, Alien 79. Oh, was it 70? Okay. Right. So they were very,
0: they, they, they
1: were very aware of Alien when they made this. All right, so they, the, I guess, all of their, a lot of their production design and, and atmosphere, they they ripped off. I mean, you know, they're all wearing those sort of blue collar trucker hats, and, and everything. Everybody looks grubby. Actually, they they really did a great job. I mean, it looks fantastic. It most does. Of the time. It, it does look great. But I
0: was thinking, like, the set designer should have co-listed the set designer for the Nostromo. <laughs> <laughs> like, they should have given that guy whoever that was some credit you know and I'm gonna yeah. look up who the set designer was for that I
1: don't know but he, um, he did a killer job I mean the sets are incredible yeah the sets the
0: sets are incredible and with, and you know and what they what's really good about the sets is the station feels huge like you see a ton of the station you see the work areas you see the sleep areas The bar set is phenomenal. Like the bar set is a year before Alien, sorry, a year before Blade Runner, and is very, very sort of prescient for what Ridley Scott's going to do. In some of, like for example, the bar um, that Zora works in in Blade Runner is sort of very, very similar uh, Mm -hmm. with the sort of cone of laser light effect. Um, Mm -hmm. You see the cafeteria, the offices, his apartment. I mean, like they, I mean, they built. I, I kept being amazed at like other new sets were appearing at 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah. You know, like usually 10 or 15 minutes in, you've kind of seen it all. And this movie, like they just built everything.
1: And nothing ever feels like a set. I mean, sometimes stuff, you can tell the effects, you know, it's effects that were done in 1980, 81. but the sets, I mean, they never feel like a set. You really feel like you're on the station, which is huge. And at the same time, grungy industrial and extremely claustrophobic you know most right. of the ceilings are low everybody's smoking and dirty and sweaty and it's crowded i mean even like the, the you, you get the scene. impression like it stinks of old
0: tobacco
1: yeah yeah and, and i thought
0: by the way the hospital set was terrific
1: yeah they really i mean it was a clean sweep there every single set was was incredible looking I mean
0: Yeah, I mean I I almost I think my favorite thing in the whole movie were the sets.
1: Yeah, the production design. It looked
0: good. Like I was convinced that they were on I.O. or EO, however you want to say it. It
1: was totally convincing. And the it's it's really in many ways the the production, the sets and the the way things look and he photographed it well too. And it's it's the Kind of like the biggest character in the movie. <laughs> like that and the shotgun—the shotgun
0: that O'Neill carries—is right. also kind of a big character in this movie. Right. It's oh, it's so old school. <laughs> right, and they're not late. They don't have lasers. It's yep. a shotgun, right? But anyway, we'll get back. Well, that sort of that's part of the old west feel. But we'll get back to that, right? Um, um. But yeah, I I totally agree with you. I thought that the production design, the set design. Look great. the the spacesuits are straight out of alien. I mean it like the the spacesuits resemble not so much the suits that um, that they wear when they're on LV426 in alien, but they very much resemble the suit that Ripley climbs into when she's in the uh, the shuttle at the end of the movie and has her sort of final face to face with the alien. I mean the helmets are I mean they're almost identical to the helmet mm-hmm. that Ripley wears in that last scene. And again, the the spacesuits look workaday and dirty, you know, and they sort of talk about the the suits being in the shop and getting repaired. Like it's like there's no glamour to being in space. Like it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be basically hazard pay like you kind of get the impression it's right. a crummy dangerous job that they're doing just for the
1: money and they're well paid and you know they basically it's a one they even say some point in the beginning of the movie it's a one-year tour and it's kind of like what are those you know those those north uh, those north uh, pacific alaskan like fishing shows right. where the guys go out for like three weeks and they right make or, like or like driving grand. a truck in
0: a Iraq for a u.s contractor
1: Right, right. It's like a short term, or in this case, I guess you know, a one year contract. But it's not easy to get to, and then um, you know they make they probably make many years worth of pay for, for in right. a very risky environment.
0: They they do a lot to sort of establish the old west vibe. Um, you know his very his title is Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the you noticed saloon. that some of the right some of the rooms have sort of swinging doors. a la the saloon. Yep. Um, you know the the shuttle. From the space station is obviously the train, right? Uh, like in a western that, that brings the villains. I mean, um, it's, it's very, very much an old west feeling. Like there is no backup, and you know the marshal is for all intents and purposes the law. Yeah,
1: there's. I mean, instead of the saloon filled with hookers, is the 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 lounge or whatever they call it. You know, like the the club filled with with hookers.
0: Right. And, and what's interesting is that there's, you know, there's open discussion that the prostitutes are just part of the system. Like, right. well, yeah, we're a frontier town, so we'll have to have booze and prostitutes for the men to sort of blow off steam. You know, like there's sort of open acknowledgement that these are just sort
1: of features or
0: fixtures of the town itself.
1: Well, the beginning of the movie when they're setting things up, they actually give you counts like personnel counts on the little you know old style right. computer readout, and it's like two thousand minors, you know, uh, in, like twelve hundred support staff, you know. Right. It didn't say how many prostitutes. <laughs> no, but you get a sense out of whatever twelve hundred. There's like eleven 1, hundred prostitutes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and one pimp. <laughs> right. Um, uh, what was I gonna say? I um, mean that's a good job. Doing that
1: pip. <laughs> on this place. I mean, these guys make a lot of money and they have and they're gonna die and they have nothing else to spend their money on except booze and hookers. <laughs> and and meth. Well, yeah, but not anymore now. Now that now that Sean Connolly ruined it, jerk. <laughs> the narc.
0: <laughs> um <clears throat> one other big nod to Alien I have to mention is um all the scenes where O'Neill interacts with his computer, um, it's basically uh, Ripley talking to Mother. It's it's almost right. the same exact interface. It looks and feels the same way with that sort of like, you know, like there's no gooey, like asking the computer questions like, show me a picture of Mr. Spada, you know? Right. And then the computer responds like he's sort of typing in full text yeah. English very, very much the way – uh it's done in Alien. So I I'm telling you, like it's Whalen Utani, like the company that made Mother made their computer on the, on the station there.
1: Yeah, they just mother's more a little more of uh anthropomorphic uh special computer somehow. Whereas this thing you get the sense... No Mother's
0: not anthropomorphic. Mother's just a, a room with a computer. Right, but they sort mother of make looks it... just like it.
1: Right, but they make it uh, not anthropomorphic. I mean, they make it special. Like they have to go into this special room, from right? Other, into whereas, the room, right, right, right. Which yeah. is is, a, is an older conception of computing. Whereas in this movie, they kind of get the idea that that the computer's it's in your just, house. it's like this regular thing you you just use for communication. Right, right. He's got it in his house. Right. Um, should we say a few words about uh, Peter
0: Hyams? Um, yeah. So I like I like Peter Hyams. Movies. I mean, three Peter Hyams were kind of important to me when I was a kid. Uh, this movie, I'm embarrassed to admit, Capricorn One, <laughs> and I um, that in a long time, and uh, 2010. Uh, he made some other stuff, although he's, those were kind of his big three. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite Peter Hyams stories. I don't know if you know this story that when uh, MGM asked him to make 2010 is he very hesitant and reluctant to do it because of obviously, you know, he's following in, in Kubrick's footsteps. And he, uh, you know, I've he, heard him and other versions of the story where, you know, with some trepidation, he, he called Kubrick and got the great man on the phone himself and very, very gently and with a lot of hesitation asked Kubrick if he could make a sequel to 2001, to which Kubrick basically said, Do whatever you want. I, I couldn't care less. (laughs) Like, he was very, very surprised, and Kubrick kind of said to him, I've done everything I'm ever going to do with that, and I've long since moved on. Good luck to it. So I I think that's an interesting story, both about Hyams
1: and Kubrick. Right. That is. And uh, and then he apparently, like, uh, wrote the story with Arthur C. Clarke pretty closely, the screenplay. Uh, You mean for 2010? For 2010, yeah. Right, right. Um, I don't know if there's too much to say
0: about Capricorn One. That's and it's almost its own podcast for its both its cult and its uh, good and bad value. But we can get back to that someday. Um, so I thought, and you may disagree with me. I I think you you might have liked this movie more than I did. And I will tell you, I liked it more as a kid. Then I did this time, and I will not lie to you, I was looking very much forward to watching again, and kind of halfway through, I was kind of, I was a little, I was kind of wondering why I liked it so much. When I was a kid, by the way, I had, I had a photo novel of this movie. Do you remember photo novels? Yeah, I remember that photo novel. I had a, I still have it. It's actually somewhere in my house here. I have an, the Outland Photo novel that my mom got me when I was a kid in the hospital, so I'd have something to read. Although interesting that when I was in the hospital, my mom got me something with hookers and <laughs> swear words and drug use.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't have helicopter parents back then. Man. <laughs> no, <laughs>
0: um, I think, and <clears throat> feel free to disagree. I think Connery is totally miscast. Like he's not right for this. Mm, I don't know. Like I, I just. I didn't buy him as the marshal. We've seen him in too many upstanding roles. I didn't buy that that woman and he were a couple. And I just it was hard. Like he's the dialogue portrays him as like sort of a washed up cop who's been sent to his latest terrible assignment. And like I just I had a lot of trouble buying Sean Connery in the role. Like James he doesn't Sicking seem flawed. He he doesn't. He's and and like his. His transformation to, you know, from to being the hero is like I don't know. It wasn't a big leap. Like they should have made him look more flawed. Like the only really bad thing you see about him is that his wife dumps him. Like James uh, Sicking, who plays his his uh, soon to be strangulated partner, you know, he's much more convincing as a guy who's going to go along to get along and take his money and look the other way.
1: Right. And and who also, who is sort of conflicted, right? And in, in the end does the right thing. And even um, the doctor, uh, France, played Sternhagen. Sternhagen, she's she's really good in this too. I, I really agree she's with you. She's great. I agree with you. You know, I think Sean Connery, I think he, he doesn't, he's, it, maybe he's not right for the role or maybe he just
0: didn't do a great job. But, you, you know? know, you wonder, and again, I don't know a lot about this, but you wonder if maybe like, Maybe the studio said, "Well, we need a big star for this vehicle," and you know, maybe maybe signing Connery got the movie made. For all we know,
1: I think it I th- did because looking, you know, the the little bit of reading I did, uh, I think that um, Peter Himes had him and really wanted to make something with him, or or I, I know that he was signed on at some point earlier in the project, so he definitely was something to do with it. Hmm. I actually think that Peter
0: Boyle steals the movie. Yeah, like he, he only terrible. has a couple of scenes. And with one exception, he steals all of his scenes. And he's the like the way that he's so casually corrupt and yeah. he's so comfortable speaking to the marshal openly about like, is this all like, do you want just want more money? Can I get you right. a bigger bribe? You know, it like, is, with that, is that what we're doing here? Yep. You know, and like even the the very the first time you see Shepard, the way he sort of, you know, ca- even the way he he introduces the marshal at the meeting and just sort of casually conveys, "I'm running this town, Marshall," you know, from their very first interaction. Yep, Boyle steals
1: the show. Yes, he was terrific. He really, you know, I
0: think most people remember Boyle from. Uh, everybody young Loves Raymond or, or young, young Frankenstein. Frankenstein although, yeah. to me, I always remember him from his role in Taxi Driver, where he plays one of the cab drivers who befriends um, Travis Bickle. Hmm. But anyway, that's kind of where I always think of him as. Um, he plays, I think, a character, strangely enough, named Wizard in uh, hmm. Taxi Driver. But he's, he, he really steals... I thought he stole the movie. Like he was to me. Him and Sternhagen are those Sternhagen two most memorable too.
1: characters. Yeah, um, she's great too.
0: I like the way too that um, a lot of the movie is filmed. I don't know if you noticed this. There's a lot of low camera with flat angles. Like usually when when directors put low camera, they do it to look up at somebody and make that person look dominant or powerful or threatening. Right. And in this, like. They film the sets like the cameras often like three or four feet off the ground. Like it's not really high up at eye level, but it's it's shooting off into the distance at a flat angle, and it kind of it can it sort of helps make everything look drab and dreary,
1: you know? Right, and every it makes and claustrophobic in a way too.
0: Yeah, it did right, and and there's sort of there's an impression that like you know there's only. You know, there's only so much to do and so many places to go. Like, I thought that a great thing to follow up on your claustrophobic comment is the the amount of space the men get to sleep in.
1: Yeah. You know, it's basically brilliant. a coffin. Yeah. They're you know, brilliant. it doesn't I
0: even know. have a wall. It's got a little flimsy plastic shade. Yep. You know, just enough to hide your meth
1: habit. I know. A brother can't even shoot up in private. <laughs> um can you imagine what the bathroom's like oh yeah right
0: where I, let me tell you you better wear flip-flops in that shower <laughs> you don't know it's on the floor there. um yeah. I liked by the way space they had space racquetball I, yeah. I liked the space racquetball court
1: which was just as filthy as everywhere else by the way <laughs> right but it had
0: lighted squares that kind of lit up and like yeah. a kind of like electronic computer board I also liked the the sort of virtual golf game that Shepard casually plays while he and the marshal discuss how corrupt everybody
1: is. Right, and by the way, Shepard's office is like the most spacious room in the entire place.
0: Right, like, dwarfing the marshal's office.
1: Yeah, the, just Shepard's Shepard's office with his golf simulator and it's kind of like it has like two or three couches like in a row, and it just and it's sort of nice. I mean, nice right. for that place. Right. Yeah.
0: And I. Right. He it, it, like it conveys. You know, like who they've made the space for. He, you know, he's the eight hundred pound gorilla on Io. Right. Um, I thought that um, one of the best sequences in the whole movie is the chase where he captures Spada. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, uh, is- I, I thought that was that might have been the best scene in the whole movie because they run through all the sets. And it's it it feels dangerous. Like it feels mm-hmm. like like Spada is truly a threat. And 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 the scene is long and it's incredibly violent. You know, yeah. uh, uh, Sean Connery. Uh, I mean, he gets burned. He gets slashed. You know, they're they're giving each other roundhouse punches in the cafeteria.
1: People yep. are getting knocked over. He sticks his no. hand in boiling water. Like right, it, it's exactly. It's so well done, and not only it's seamless. Like as they run through all the sets, you know. I mean, Hayam's he 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 did he shot it well. Yeah, he he's a good director. Well. You know, it's really well done. I mean, there's there's no hiccups. It's incredibly tense the whole time, and it and this and it's so crowded on in the place that. They're constantly like running into other people and pushing them. They can't run
0: more than a few feet. I thought the best shot, the best single shot in the whole movie comes in the middle of the chase when Spada is jumping from tables to tables to tables and the camera's right behind him. Killer. And you know, I don't know if that was a steady cam shot or not, but if it wasn't, they did a terrific job on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so crowded. That he, he just he gives up and he just basically goes above everyone by running on their their right. tabletops.
0: I went back, and I watched that shot like four times in a row, and I yeah. thought like that's, that's the shot of that whole movie.
1: And even the, just to the end of that chase when he he fires his shotgun, like when, when finally when Spoda he finally corners him and, right. and you don't know if he's going to kill him, gonna, him or not, and Spota's still not going to stop. Like, basically, it's life or death, and there there's such animals on this place, and stakes are so high that Spoda's still going to go after it. He basically has to shoot, like, two or three shotgun rounds right next to him. Right. And just barely missing in, him. In very close quarters. Very close quarters, and, you know, they make it <laughs> loud. And then, you know, he gives one of his good lines, you know, think it over. You know, All Right. right because <laughs> he blows the shotgun at the guy. I mean, that was well done. And the, the scene with the, the guy with the knife and the crazy hooker was good, too, because it was also creepy and violent.
0: But And it also, it it implies you don't know it at the time. It's cover-up. But you up. find out, right, it's a cover-up that his that the James Sicking character, you know, was trying Mont-toned. to get rid of the evidence quickly, like, let me shoot this guy, and then no one will know anything, and the new Marshal can still be kept in the
1: dark. Right.
0: Yeah, because and, at, the, at the time, you know, you're kind of, like, wondering, like, what, wh- why did that happen, you know? Exactly. And, like, I, Montone is strangely calm. Like, for a guy who just jumped in through a pound on the ceiling and shotgunned somebody, at, you know, four feet, he's sort of like, hmm, and he turned kind of looked at me funny. You yeah. know, like,
1: he's awful yeah. calm. Like, gee, okay. Right, and, and, and Sean Connery is skeptical because he's thinking, like, why'd you do that? Right, and Montone, you know, right. and, like, at, and Connery is there. I'm knife. not
0: gonna kill you. We're gonna talk, <laughs> like, right? And then the guy's dead in two minutes. Yeah,
1: great scene. Um, but I wonder, you know, you're right. Like, let's say, you know, like for example, in in um in High Noon, Gary Cooper is really tortured and conflicted, and you know because. His he he basically he's marrying a Quaker woman who's who, who literally at the beginning of the movie he gets married and then immediately hears immediately after getting married that he he has a bunch of criminals that he put away previously who are truly psychotic evil criminals are going to come back to try to kill him and instead of running he decides he has to stay and fight for both because he has a duty to the town because the new marshal's not there yet and because. He, he knows that they'll never be able to have a life together because these guys will keep going after them. So right. he has no other choice for multiple reasons. Right, And, and he, you know, in all fairness, he did just marry Grace Kelly. Right. And Grace Kelly is not happy. And, you know, the equivalent of uh, leaving on the shuttle the way, um, you know, his wife here uh, leaves Sean Connery is that she heads out to leave on the next train in an hour, which is the same train bringing in um, the killer. And he, you know, they have multiple sort of scenes where there's a confrontation and she basically says, you know, you're doing this because you always have to, you have something to prove and you have to be a good guy. And why can't we just go away? And he says, you know, I know you don't like violence. And I said, retire, but um, not only do I have to do this, but we'll never have peace. and And he's really pained by the whole thing. But you know Connery, he doesn't seem pained except by the fact that he seemed pained that his family leaves and that he's yeah, the in, cops
0: are all corrupt
1: and that everybody's corrupt and he's in trouble. But he doesn't sort of seem like he doesn't have the same moral quandary, right? And he, you know, and he doesn't even tell his wife why he's staying. Never. Like he
0: says, uh, "I can't tell you."
1: Yeah, he just sort of hides stuff from her. For, so like that, it that's almost would have been
0: better if 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 O'Neill had told his wife why he was staying on the station, and then they could have maybe drawn that out a little bit.
1: But they I don't. think that would have been better. And I wonder, like you know, let's say Sean Connery didn't uh, didn't show up as such a sort of a white knight from the very beginning, and they sort of established maybe in the beginning they sort of established him as more of a mixed. Uh, You know, having a sort of a more gray area and being complicit maybe at other assignments. It might be more interesting because then he would have had some character development because they 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 try to reach that, but they don't quite reach it. No, no. So know. when he makes his stand, you know, dramatically, <coughs> when he makes his, his big stand and says like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be participating in this place. And, you know, they, they stuck me out here because they think I'm, I'm a schmuck. And right. I'm, I'm soft
0: or I'll, I'll take the money.
1: I'm just going to go along with it. Um, and, and then he has a, he decides that he hates that. And he, he does have a, he does have a, some character, some, some moral certitude. Um, it would have been a turn, you know, a turning point, but it's, it's sort of like he always seemed that way. Right. I agree. I agree. But you're right. I, I wonder if, if he would have played it differently or if they would have cast somebody else, but, or you wonder if maybe, you know, maybe that was too far against type for
0: Connery. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to do that or it was out of his range. Could be. I thought that, um, the, it, one of the one of the rare bad scenes mm-hmm. in the movie is when um <clears throat> is when O'Neal, he listens in on Shepard's phone call yeah, uh, and it's almost too pat he'll be dead. like right like you'd think that they'd be a little careful about openly talking about the hired killers coming to the station to kill the cop like it's almost. Too pat and it almost kinda makes makes Boyle like a mustache twirling villain in that scene. Like I don't know, like they almost didn't even need that scene. The whole thing is implied, and it's like three minutes of exposition that, that you know already. The only value, I guess, is the inside man part.
1: That and I think that you know they They move the story along pretty it's paced pretty well, the movie. And I, I guess they felt like they needed that much exposition to, to move things along and build the tension. Right. But I think they although could again, have,
0: they could have, they could have done that with him and the wife. Like they could' have had him and his wife have a lot of that thing. You know we could have said to the wife, "I think there's an inside. I can't even do his accent." Uh, but yeah. I, I think there's an inside man here. like they seem to know my movements before it before I, I do them. You know what I mean? Like, yep.
1: They like could they could have, done, have done
0: it. They could have done it that way. Like that scene. It's the biggest clunker scene in the whole movie. It's just they didn't need it at all. Right. It's it's sort of a cheap device. Um, And, you know, Sternhagen is kind of, she's kind of like the, you know, his opposite number. Like it's, you know, it's implied that she's had less than a stellar career. She implies she's like, you know, just barely ahead of the you know the latest malpractice suit. Right. And you know, here she is as the doctor working on this terrible assignment and she's kind of toxic and cranky. But she stands up and does the right thing. Like she pulls it off better than Connery
1: does. Right. And she there right. And she has she has that, that redemption by the end of the movie and
0: um, And she doesn't run at the end. She stays. Right. She stays to sort of see uh to see, you know, where stuff goes after the after the takedown of Shepard. Right. What did you think of the the, I mean, the last half hour is a long sort of chase scene, essentially, where the hired killers, you know, land on the train shuttle and and come after. What did you think of that whole sequence? It's very long.
1: I think that that is not the best part of the movie. I think it's the only, the only one, the only episode within that I like is the way that he trap with the doctor. He traps that dude in the corridor that he planned ahead of time. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is, it doesn't make as much sense as for example, all the other action sequences because it's the, more effects heavy. And it, so it
0: feels, I think less visceral.
1: Yeah, it it doesn't. Well, you don't have a sense of how they found him, where it is. Um, There's no tension, really. There's supposed to be tension because they're trying to kill him, but there's no build up. You don't because every all these other scenes in the movie where he's running around through the place and or he's following Spoda, you know, even before the chase and all these scenes have you know they use the place to their advantage, whereas as soon as they use it, when he sees them get off the shuttle, like he sees the killers get off the shuttle and then he watches them like pull out their weapons. And then that's tense. Right.
0: Right. Right. right In view of a camera, strangely enough.
1: Right. Well, you know, and these are the best they could find, but, but then immediately like there's a gunshot battle in like 20 seconds after that. And I, I just, I don't, how'd that happen? I don't think they figured out how to do the whole sequence with all of them. I think it was it was probably, or maybe they edited down to something less. I don't know. Maybe they had shot more.
0: Yeah, it's hard to tell. I don't know. The movie slows down a lot uh, during the chase. I felt like like the build up to the arrival of the hitman is good, but then once they're there, I kind of I was kind of like let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, I don't know. I felt like for me, the movie really slowed down.
1: Yeah. I only liked the one, that one with the corridor where he goes outside because that's when the doctor comes in and helps him.
0: Right. And when the, when the one guy shoots out the window in the greenhouse, I was thinking like, now what are they going to eat? <laughs> like He just destroyed the greenhouse entire station.
1: I know that guy wasn't too sharp. <laughs> no, he, he, he mistook
0: a falling rectangular metal panel for a human being. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> Although
0: he did, did you notice that, and I didn't remember this when I was He a turned kid. to
1: jelly as he out. Yeah, flew he exploded.
0: Out. Like, he turned to red jelly and <laughs> I exploded. I noticed that, too.
1: I never noticed it before.
0: You're right. There's a lot of, like, a lot of guys getting decompressed in this movie.
1: They figured out how to make dudes blow up, and they were going to use it. Right. Use I didn't understand,
0: by the way. <clears throat> sorry. They say in the beginning that it's one-sixth gravity. But sometimes it seemed like it was zero G. Other times it was normal gravity. Like the gravity kind of flipped all around. And then when Spada is killed after, you know, he gets captured, the blood drips upward. Like they kind of couldn't decide what was the gravity on this station or this moon. Like I didn't get it.
1: Well, there's a sign on the window of Spada's cell that says no artificial gravity. I, I don't know, but. And then why would you put somebody in a cell in a
0: space suit?
1: Because it's a science fiction movie and they want to make it because when they, they want to have the blood dripping the wrong way. Uh, when yeah, gets it's just, killed.
0: But, but it was a little bit like, I don't know, felt gratuitous. Like they did it to do it. I don't know. It was totally. I,
1: again. I, they did. There's,
0: there's only a handful of missteps in this movie. I don't want you to feel like I'm poo-pooing it. But <sighs> no,
1: I, I agree. It, like the- that.
0: That scene, I was, it didn't make sense.
1: The only thing I liked about it was the way, um, you know, Connery goes in there to torture him because he tells them, like, you know, at night dudes sometimes go crazy, you know, because they're right. floating. And it's, it's, it's got to be miserable. They're basically just suspended in a, a suit when there's not enough sen- there's sensory deprivation.
0: Um, and his
1: reaction is good,
0: too, you know, because it, it, yeah. it, it implies once again, you know, he immediately recognizes there's still a step ahead of me.
1: Yeah. Like they
0: got to him and they took care of him so he couldn't talk. Like he's he's behind the curve the entire movie until the end. Yep. You know, when, when he symbolically, you know, gets the baddies and then punches right. uh Shepherd, who then flies he punches him so hard he flies backwards through the air and wrecks a table.
1: Well, I guess that in Shepherd's little corner, they don't have artificial gravity either. Right. Yeah. It didn't, maybe you're right. It didn't
0: make sense. I don't know. Like the gravity. The gravity bugged me. So here's a question. Financial considerations aside, and when I say financial considerations, meaning they wanted to make a lot of money, and it was '81, and sci-fi was hot. This isn't a science fiction movie. Like this takes place in outer space, but this isn't a science fiction movie. Like there's no. Like this movie does not have one sci-fi concept at its heart. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no, no big concept. It, it's, it's, it's just a, right. It's a Western that they could have set this in San Francisco in 1981 and it would have worked just as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's no science fiction conceit to this movie. You know, you don't die when you turn 30. The replicants don't live for years. You know, there's no, the, the force is not strong with them. Like there's, it's not a sci-fi movie. It's, it just, it's a, it's a, it's a cop movie about drugs. that happens to take place in outer space.
1: Right. The only sci-fi aspect is this is the setting, which is a huge character in the movie, but is not truly part of the plot. It's just a character.
0: Right. It, 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 this could have, this could have happened anywhere. It happened to take place on IO. It's the spice. It's not the dish, you know, Right. But, you know, but it's a little bit of an example. Um, You know, Himes is a little bit selling the sizzle more than the steak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like in 1981, this movie wouldn't have gotten half as many people to go if they had just done done it in, you know, San Francisco or another place. But because, you know, it was hot on the heels of Alien and Star Wars and other movies – People were like, "Whoa, a sci-fi movie!" Like, I I distinctly saw this in the theater because it was a sci-fi movie.
1: Me too, sure.
0: But it's but you know, but that's what I mean. And that was, I like kind of think, I think watching now, that was my biggest, biggest, biggest kind of realization: is it's it's not a science fiction movie. I don't know. It, I mean, it's you know, uh, Firefly. Did you did you watch Firefly? Yeah. I mean, Firefly. Is a Western, but Firefly has true sci-fi elements to it, mm-hmm. you know, whereas this kind of doesn't, you know, I mean, there's other sci- there's also space, there's other sort of sci-fi Westerns or space Westerns, but uh, I don't know, like, it was just, it was interesting. Like, I was just really struck by the fact that, like, they didn't need to to do it in outer space.
1: No, the story, the plot, the moral questions, the character development—if there is any—well, there is for the doctor at least. All those things, um, the character interactions, to 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 a large extent, they're not—they have nothing to do with science fiction. It's only the the setting becomes a flavor for the, for the movie and the, and it it really is a, is a big character in the movie because it changes the interactions of all the other characters and it changes the feel of how you react to the movie. But the, the concept is, 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 has no relation to science fiction at all. Yeah.
0: And again, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I mean, when I was a kid, I certainly thought it was cool. You know, like I love the way everything looked, but it's an, It's just, it's an odd, it's an odd choice, you know, but again, my, I mean, maybe, maybe they felt like, you know, let's just do it here. There's too much money to pass on. Like this will, this will work, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, and remember too, I mean, this is way, you know, this is the time when Westerns were basically dead in Hollywood. Right. You know, maybe they couldn't have gotten financing for it as a straight Western.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, they couldn't really remake. I mean, everybody at that point remembered and had seen High Noon, right? And the movie
0: makes the movie doesn't attempt to hide, you know, what it's borrowing from High Noon in any way.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I think anybody who's an adult who wasn't, you know, twelve like us. Right. Um, and, you know, it said, Oh, it's high noon. It was funny because I distinctly remember when we walked out of it, I saw it with my father, my dad
0: said to me as we were walking to the car, It was high noon. And I was like, Oh, what's high noon? Exactly. <laughs> it was funny because I, I, when I did see high noon years later, I was like, Oh, it's Outland.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's funny because, yeah, exactly. Now, now you get a you know, a, a, some teenager now that sees something and you have the same reaction it seems oh yeah quite different
0: well i remember when elysium came out uh the 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 matt damon neil blomkamp film a year or two ago and i remember like everybody at work was all excited about it i was like i was like well that's a remake of a star trek episode called the cloud minders you know and they (laughs) were like what i was like yeah (laughs) you know but ah crap
1: that just means we're getting older Hey, we're going to have to um, talk about uh, Blomkamp's uh, you know, District 9 at some point, by the way. At some point. That's yeah. a good one.
0: Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, you know, in a related theme, by the way, um, speaking of things that are something else, have you seen The Purge?
1: Nope. What is that?
0: Uh, the Purge is a – it's a, a – A couple of uh, movies. The first one's really the big one. And the gimmick is that, like, one day a year, everybody's allowed to run completely amok. Um, You know, and law is suspended, you can murder and rape and pillage, and it's all okay. You know, and then once a day is over, everybody goes back to uh, normal. And when I heard about it at work, some of the people I work with, well, I said, well, it's Return of the Archon. Exactly. It's exactly the same concept as Return of the (laughs) Archon. And when I said that at work, they all looked at me like I was stupid. Anyway, I digress. Um, um, by the way, uh, Haim's wife in real life, her last name is Spada. So I think that that's some sort of in-joke. It's scary. Her, her her last name is Spada. So I assume that that's some sort of wink nod, and nod in-joke to his wife. Um, I, I would say overall, I liked it more uh, as a kid. and wh- I saw it a bunch of times as an adolescent mm. uh, when it was on cable. But I will tell you, like... It left me a little flat this time, and the, I remember the chase being much more exciting, you know, the first few times I saw it, whereas now, like, the whole last half hour, the chase and the fight, I was kind of flat. Like, I almost wish that they had made that shorter and given Connery more scenes with Peter Peter Boyle.
1: I agree that the the assassination attempt scenes are – most of that is – is is. Not nearly as well done as the rest of the movie. I and I agree with you that Connery was was probably played was was either miscast or or just was the worst played uh, character.
0: Because uh, he basically plays sort of a scroungier, scruffier version of Sean Connery.
1: Yeah, he's clearly just Sean Connery. Yeah. Whereas you Still, know everybody else, I'm, I mean Montone and. Montone and is great. I he's thought great. he
0: did, did a lot with a small
1: part. Did you, yes. by the way, did
0: you recognize James B. Sicking from Star Trek? So uh,
1: uh, Sicking
0: plays—he's Captain Styles
1: uh, of Lewis. the
0: uh, right, but he's Captain Styles of the uh, Excelsior, who is made a fool no, right. of by Scotty and Star that's Trek. That's right. 3. That's
1: right. That's right. I was but trying you know, to remember been, which
0: but you know Hyam's you know I mean look it's a solid outing for Hyam's uh, it didn't really make much money I, I discovered didn't. I thought it I thought it did better than it actually did it didn't really make much money but uh you know he like he had a I mean I don't know if he's still making movies or not but uh, he's had some pretty good he's had some pretty good movies he's had some some junk I, I do note that he also made time cop which I paid to see in the theater
1: um he made like which, is, a- uh, which a which is a definitely a, a low yeah. point. He made a couple of <laughs> movies with Jean Claude Van Damme.
0: Yeah, and he made made a couple. He made other movies with uh, Connery. He made the Presidio with Connery. Uh, he made the Star Chamber, which isn't a terrible movie. Um, I, mean, I don't know, like he made End of Days uh, mm. with Schwarzenegger. Like, he, it's a pretty pretty big career for uh, Peter Hyams. Um, anyway, any final thoughts or parting thoughts on Outland slash High Noon?
1: I still think it's worth seeing. <clears throat> I think I did like it more than you did. I, I think it has it has flaws for certain, but I just to, s- to see the way it looks and some of the scenes are very well done, and some yeah, of the I'm, some of the actors are great.
0: I I would say I'm, I don't want you to feel like I'm negative on it because I'm not, but I would de- it definitely left me a little flatter as an adult than it did when I saw it as a as a kid. But again, I'm gonna I think as soon as we're done, I'm gonna go dig out my photo novel and text you a photo of
1: it <laughs> uh,
0: um good one though good uh, definitely a good pick
1: yeah and it's All right. know, early 80s you know bridging the right gap.
0: well and, it, and, and it's early 80s but it feels in many ways very 70s like i was thinking their clothes and their haircuts were extremely 70s i actually made a little note 70s haircuts like nobody has a short haircut except spada Everybody's hair is sort of billowing out from underneath their trucker hats. Yeah, they're grungy. except for Sean Connery because he's wearing a toupee. <laughs> they're
1: grumpy. By the way, one,
0: by the way, one one completely moronic comment I, I I do have to make. I made a little note that during the incredible chase scene where where O'Neill chases Spada through the entire complex and they are punching each other in the face and falling all over each other. His hat never falls off. Like, yeah. I was like, how does his hat stay on? You know, like I walk out in the wind and then my baseball cap blowing down the road. Like, how did his hat never fall off?
1: It's part of the artificial gravity. <laughs> it's the it artificial, all comes back to that. His scalp has artificial he had, right. Gravity. He
0: had a little, like, artificial gravity generator inside the hat so that it would stay tightly affixed to the top of his head. Oh, my God. That's yeah. how that, and that's how we're going to end. <laughs>
1: Uh uh next stop, all righty. Highlander for uh Gottery. <laughs> <Shil-Gallari>. Alrighty. <laughs> right. Uh any, anything
0: cool. else you want to say? That I think that's all I have on, on Outland slash High Noon. <laughs> nah,
1: you're right, High Noon's a better
0: movie. Yeah, that's High still. Noon's a better movie, but again it, it was first. It's 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 hard to be the it's hard to do the remake. All right. Uh, I will. I will say thanks to Peter and thanks to everybody for listening. And then uh, we'll be back uh, soon for the next offering. Excellent. Take care. All right.